Had you ever heard that one before? No, I have not. <laughs> okay. Well, basically, uh, George Romero, after Creeps Show, he he made a horror anthology series called, obviously, Tales from the Dark Side that ran from 84 to 88. It's varying in quality, but it's it's got good moments in it. No, I really liked it. I did like it. So today we're talking about... Oh, sorry. Um, welcome to Almost Her <laughs> Anthology Podcast. And today we are talking about 1990s Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Yes, I saw... It's um, 1990. I saw it was listed as a comedy horror. Okay. But I, I really don't find it... It had a little, it had some slight tongue-in-cheek comedy. I could see that, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was directed by John Harrison, and it was based on the television series Tales of the Dark Side. And it shows basically a kidnapped paper boy who is Matthew Lawrence, Joey Lawrence from Blossom's Brother, which looks just like him. Yeah. And, and um, he tells three stories Um to a suburban witch who is Debbie Harry from Blondie, which was, look who looks great. And she's preparing to eat him basically for a, a dinner party. Yep. <laughs> it's so great. He, he stalls her by telling her three stories. Um, it runs about the same as creep show two. I saw about 93 minutes, same budget as creep show two, but did a little bit better. Really? I, yeah, I was gonna say like I don't know. It just seems more polished and yeah, it, it's it's crazy because it's the exact same budget as Creepshow too, but it just yeah, it seems more polished and put together. That's probably the difference between making it for New World and making it for Paramount. Yes, and I see forty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is you can give or take Rotten Tomatoes, but yeah, like... that's a that's a pretty good that's a pretty good score on Rotten Tomatoes. And screenplay George Romero and then Michael McDowell. Yep. Um, I think George mostly wrote The Cat from Hell. Yes. 
and Malcolm McDowell wrote the other. They're they're all three solid though. Actually, surprised. Like, I you know I remember bits and pieces from the first one and the second one, Cat from Hell, in my from my childhood. But as I was like reading like synopsis of it and like watching it, it came back to me. I remembered it pretty much. But um, all these stories are really solid. All three of them. And the cast is really crazy good, too. Isn't that weird? It's, it's an odd Yes. Like... It's like a stacked. Yeah. Like, even, like, the, like, small supporting characters you have seen in probably, like, ten movies. Like, everybody. Like, it, it's amazing that how expensive this movie would be to put on today. Using the exact same characters. <laughs> Because everyone, be- everyone now is pretty much a really great star, you know, huge star. Oh yeah, and um, before we get into it, like I said, Debbie Harry, she was actually in an episode of Tales from the Dark Side called The Moth, and uh, Christian Slater was also in one when he was very young, in season one, called The Case of the Stubborns. I know I'm missing one. Okay, Steve Buscemi was in an episode of the show that came after Dark Side called Monsters. Yeah, like Steve Buscemi, like Julianne Moore was in the first one. Like it was, I read that was her first. It is her. This is her first movie, but she's a gigantic star now. Oh. Like yeah, Christian Slater. Uh, like who else? Uh, even like in the second, uh, the third one. I mean, people who watch Sex in the City would know him as like Richard from Sex in the City, but uh, the main character, uh, what's his name, uh, Preston? Well, James Remar, Remar. Yep, yep, yep. Well, he plays Richard, which is a, a huge character in Sex in the City that people would know him from today. But he's super young in this. Just everyone has like this, like went on to do crazy great things. Like it, it was. It's really a great cast. Oh yeah, we. I think the most the rest of us know James Remar as, uh, like you said, Richard from Sex and the City. But he was also Dexter's father in the series Dexter, and he was uh, Ajax in the Warriors. I haven't watched Dexter in so long. Uh, I can't recall him as as the dad. Yeah, I do. I did watch that whole series, but maybe I just was revisit it, but. Yeah, I think he's also really good. But even I even noticed that the, that, that his wife playing in that one was uh um she was uh Tommy Chong's daughter, <laughs> Chi Chin Chong. I yeah. started cracking up when I saw that. I was like, that's even great. But I recognized her from a lot of things too, which I don't recall. But visually I knew I was like, I've seen them before, I've seen them before, I've seen them before, you know. I think the only thing I know her from Chong is from Commando with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> she's yeah. She's super good in it. She's super pretty too. Yeah, she's super pretty. Everything is just so nineties in this too, which is great. If you grew up like really deep in the nineties, like just the aesthetic of the apartments, their clothes. Uh, you know, even when they're like the bad area of New York where. Uh, Preston and the third one lives it's like probably not bad anymore because it was like 90s New York you know it was just great to just watch this and like look at it and go this is a great time 
this is a great chunk of you know like a time capsule of the 90s to me the way that christian slater was dressing a preppy guy where she's wearing probably like a oh yeah a sweater that everyone owned in like the early 90s like <laughs> from the mall probably from like a like just a generic not gap but like even like a like just even if you were to go to like a regular like generic mall store everyone had this growing to high school or going to middle school the same kind of sweater yeah he's a preppy yes <laughs> i i love i love christian slater though i i'm a i'm a huge fan yeah and i always forgot like revisiting christian slater in this uh how he just sounds like jack nicholson to me he talks very like controlled and um not not this not how you would think that he would sound for being how, yeah. how young he is he just sounds like he sounds like he's talking like uh he's gonna he's he says that he's doing an impression of jack nicholson <laughs> i could see i could definitely see that yeah yeah and it, which is great i loved him in heathers growing up uh he just was always you know in all those uh I guess teeny bopper magazines I would buy growing up. Yeah. <laughs> he was a heartthrob. He's still doing great though, Mr. Robot. He was really freaking good on. And wasn't he in like why do I feel like he was in a vampire movie? Like interim not interview with with a with the vampire, but he was an interview with Yes, him. he was like the main reporter, right? Am I wrong with yep. that? Yeah, yep. even with that, just I've always been kind of a fan of him. He's really great. Absolutely. Well, the the movie picks up in with a a woman driving through what looks like a very very nice neighborhood with all of her groceries in the back. Yeah, so she seems to know everybody. She's like waving at people and like. Yep. Yeah, and seems to like just be a small like affluent town. Yep, it's a Norman Rockwell wet dream. She's yes. <laughs> she gets home and she's getting her groceries, and then she hears uh, a young boy shouting, "Let me out! Let me out!" Yeah, you see, like this door, like before you kind of get into, like she enters the kitchen, it like pans the kitchen. You see this doorknob like frantically twisting. Yep. Like twisting, 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 twisting. Then she kind of like enters the kitchen. So you already kind of like, wait, what's that? What's going on with this? Because she seems very mild manner, you know, generic white woman, you know, <laughs> like yep. knows everybody, knows the mailman by name. Like she's picking up flowers. Uh, the house is amazing that she pulls up to, you know, gigantic. Uh, but something's obviously off because somebody's frantically trying to get out of the door. <laughs> She's yeah. She's got a nice cage. Yes. <laughs> I'm wondering how she hide. She's gonna hide that from her dinner guests, but yeah, she comes in, like drops her groceries off, and she opens what looks like a pantry door, but it reveals a basically a giant walk-in cell that she's holding this boy in, who's played by a really young Matthew Lawrence. Any uh, what's that? Teeny little Matthew Lawrence. Yes, and his voice, you know, he his voice is so like high pitched. He's so young in this, 
and he's locked up in this and you could just so it comes to find out that she's having a dinner party because she's on the phone talking to people and you know setting up the like you know uh the the final kind of things for it and comes to find out he's on the menu for dinner on the dinner party and she's a witch and here's my question do you think that she's like unknowingly to them serving them little boy or do you think she's having disreputable people over i was wondering that too because it's never discussed what they're having for dinner or that it's never openly discussed it's just kind of like she goes oh you know i always go all out for a dinner party but you know you really don't know but it, it does leave it open out of the open. Like, cause there's really no telling she's a witch. It's not like she looks like a witch or there's any kind of like tells for that. So that is a good question. I don't know. I don't know because absolutely nothing gave it away except the reveal that there's a kid behind the door that she was a witch or having him for dinner because all leading up to that, everything seemed very mild mannered and very just normal. My mind goes dark, so I just assumed that she was having a bunch well, of wishes over. <laughs> no, I, even darker than that, which is a bunch of like good people unknowingly cannibalizing a young child. <laughs> <laughs> which would be very, very, very dark. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, she basically um, tells him that she has to prepare him and gives him a real mini rundown of what she has to do because he's not familiar with the terms, but basically like gut him, you know, sew him back up, get him ready to cook. And I guess she threw him a copy of a thick book called Tales from the Dark Side to keep him company while he was in this pantry. And he uses the book to distract her from starting the process of cooking him. He's like, well, just before you cook me real quick, I got a story about a mummy. Yeah, and since she loves the book from her childhood, she's willing to stop and listen to a story. And that leads us into the first story where it's lot 249. And I saw it was written by Michael McDowell, which is one of the screenplay writers with George Romero. And it's adapted from a um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle short, lot 49, which is like Sherlock Holmes, basically. And it's adapted for one of Sherlock Holmes stories. Which I kind of can see it now that it's like, it's kind of looks like that with mummies and, yeah. uh, and artifacts and the things that the, that uh, Steve Buscemi do, uh, character does in, in their way, collectibles and things. I, I could see where you could see bits and pieces of that. And Michael McDowell, the most famous thing off my head that he wrote was Beetlejuice. Yes. Yeah. Beetlejuice. Um. It opens up, well, basically the story is that a graduate student, Edward Bellingham, who is played by Steve Buscemi, um, has been cheated by two classmates, Susan, who's Julianne Moore, and Lee Robert Segwick. Uh, They basically frame Bellingham, who, uh, for theft of one of these, like, small kind of, like, uh, artifacts the university had, drew his chances of winning a scholarship for both what Lee and him were competing for. Uh, as revenge, well, I guess Buscemi, I'm going to refer to him back and forth as Bellingham and Buscemi, I'm sure. <laughs> but um, I guess he buys things and he sells things 
to pay for his college. So he bought this thing called Lot 249, which the lot is a was a mummy, and it was it fully wrapped up in its casing, a classic looking mummy display, basically. But as revenge for setting up Buscemi for this stealing of this like museum college museum artifact, he reanimates the mummy that he purchased and uses it to murder both Susan and Lee. Um, which I think the mummy in this looks amazing. Uh, I think the whole pr- the the whole reveal of the mummy, them cutting it open, showing the face gutting it i think it was all great those were all great scenes oh yeah um, be, uh since andy andy's christian slater who's also in this is susan's brother and through different various tells in the in the in the, in the short we've come to find out that andy puts two or two together that uh bellingham is responsible for both his sister susan and lee's death who's lee is also his best friend Christian Slater come, goes to his apartment, basically kind of semi-kidnaps um, Bellingham and forces him to, to summon the mummy. He just, he breaks it down and destroys it with a, with a, um, with a carving. A, a, yeah. A, 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 like an electric carving, like Turkey carving knife that burns it. And um, he, he asks for the reanimation parchment that helps, you know, reanimate these mummies. And he destroys that as, as well. He considers killing Bellingham, but at the end he decides that he can't really commit murder. And he just basically says, you know, it's all done. So everything's finished. Uh, You're never going to see me again. Bellingham was like, I'm never going to see me again. It kind of like part ways. But we come to find out that Bellingham switched the reanimation parchment before Andy destroys it and puts a spell on both Susan and Lee to come back from the dead and go back to Andy's dorm room and tells him that Bellingham's in his regards. So the end is basically showing like the two both and are uh, both uh Lee and Susan at, at at Andy's door. Yep. Uh he basically the kills were great. Uh he sends the mummy to first to Andy's house. I'm sorry, first to to Lee's house and shows one of the processes of making a mummy which is pulling the brains out through the nose so the mummy goes into the house goes into a closet pulls out a hanger takes the hanger pulls lee's brain out through his nose yeah and uh susan comes home after basically like who just shows to be really a trash person like she sets you know bellingham up for stealing she kind of manipulates this professor who's like finds her attractive she comes home after basically meeting up with this professor uh, and finds in, in the bowl of fruit next to the door a pile of brains and blood. Yep. And she's like, okay, this is a little bit off. So she goes around the house. She sees um, basically Lee on the floor dead and the mummy exiting the, the house. Uh, but doesn't really know it's a mummy. Just, but when she retells the story to Andy, says that he was disgusting and dirty and smelled like rotten flowers, which Andy had earlier in the, in the short had said that it always smells like rotten flowers. When you come to find out you use flowers for embalming and other various things. So it, he knew right away that it was the mummy, but he killed, but uh, they go, they go to the funeral for the boyfriend together. And uh, 
Julianne Moore's character gets killed by the mummy slicing her down her back and shoving her the funeral flowers into her back, almost like another bombing process. Yep. So it it was really it was really great. Uh, I love the fact that it was like they get called back to Andy's house after uh bellingham leaves campus the two of them show up to like show that like you know bellingham sends his regards and they're both ones holding flowers and susan's holding flowers and lee's holding a hanger so you knew what was kind of come next for andy which sucks because andy was actually a nice guy in the story yes i feel like he didn't do anything wrong to bellingham uh he called him out for basically killing people but that was that. He had a chance to really cause him harm and he let him go. I really don't know why he sent him back for him, but I guess it's the end of the story. But, you know, it's also like he really didn't do anything to deserve to die. Uh uh-uh. uh. No. No. I also feel this is a callback kind of to Creep Show 2 for uh, uh, something to tide you over. Were the two where Ted Danson and the wife returned back to Leslie Nielsen's house? Yeah. I almost feel like it's an identical callback to that for some reason. I can tell. Yeah. It, it just kind of, I don't know if it's a companion homage or if it's just the way they figured to end it, but it like you could almost play those scenes identical, you know, and be like, yes, they're, they're, they, they're like almost one of the same. But I, I feel like Christian Slater was actually a genuine good guy in this one. So and I don't think he deserved to die, but um, it's, it was a great kind of ending this story, basically showing that he still could reanimate and he shows that he got one over on him and that he didn't win basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's why they call it Dark Side. It got dark. <laughs> yes. But it was it was fun. It was nice seeing a mummy. You don't really see that a lot. Yeah, and the mummy was really good. Uh, you could definitely see like zombie elements to it. Like if it in the face, if it wasn't a, a mummy, I would think it was a zombie. Yeah. So and you just look at the and I see that. Uh, I looked at like. Tom Zavini's not a part of this, but Greg Nicotero is still a part of this. Oh, and yeah. I, I don't know if it's just like the zombie aesthetic that's always so tied to like Romero and all them, but like it definitely looked like it could be a zombie or zombie makeup, but it looked great. I thought it looked great. Oh, yeah, it was definitely a really good start. Yeah. And, the, you know, I laugh because like, you know, the colleges are like this, his dorm room, like what they call them dorm rooms. It's like a gigantic, basically studio apartment with like a, you know, a fireplace. And he has all these beautiful books and artifacts all over. I'm like, what college is this? Where is he going? Like, but uh, I thought it was a great, it was a great cast. Uh, I thought everything about it was great. The kills were good. Uh, they, they, everything seemed very like, Nothing looked too, like, I don't know. Everything looked on point. Everything looked like, it looked like a step up from the first two ones we watched. From from uh, Creepshow 1 and 2. Just the, the kills and development of the story. It had a really a, a good developed story. I just really enjoyed everything about it. 
Oh yeah, I've always loved this one. It's it's terrific. It's definitely worthy of uh not I mean, it's essentially a creep show, but Yes. Oh yeah, three super duper strong stories and And less uh less ties to comic books. I feel like it was just just really good storytelling. Oh yeah. It's well the the wraparound's pretty pretty fun too. A lot of times they just phone that in, but I like the idea of this young boy telling stories to to stave off being cannibalized by. Yeah, and I feel like uh, when I watch these, like even with like Creep Show one and two, and this one being like the unofficial Creep Show three, uh, I feel like a lot of the stories have uh, like payback lessons, like revenge. There a lot of them are revenge focused. Whether it's like the slot two forty nine or from the from the first ones like something that tied you over or Father's Day or Chief uh, Old Wooden Head or the Hitchhiker, I feel like there's like a lot of just revenge stories. Oh, definitely that that goes back <laughs> to the old comics, the roots of the old comics, and it was just a lot of a karmic retribution and morality so it, it definitely they still play on that like making the world right balancing everything else yeah. they'll set somebody up and say this is a real son of a bitch but just pay attention though so. yeah well i guess if we go back to the uh the witch's house after this one oh yeah she- sorry yeah she's feeding them cookies <laughs> yes uh she still trying to get him started cooking. She's still trying to like, but he's adamant that he wants to tell another story. And uh, she's very easy to persuade. Cause she's like, sure. Basically <laughs> it's like yep. tell another one. And like, as long as it makes it quick, uh, you see it. You see the first shot of the oven that she's going to cook him in. It's this giant, almost four foot long tray pulls out of the oven Yep. And huge flames, uh, but it's still like a set into the wall kind of oven. But you just see that it's like enough to fit a whole person in there. A whole Matthew Lawrence. Yes, which I think is also cool to see. So you start to see like little bits and pieces of her being a witch in the house. But again, she doesn't look like a witch or have any other kind of tells. But uh, it's it's great to see that. He sees that and uh, he tries to distract her with yet another story. And she agrees, and we go into Cat from Hell. You know how he got her to agree to it? He said, this one's by Stephen King. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Cat from Hell by Stephen King. And this one was, uh, I think he sold the magazine. But it did end up getting published in, frick, 2007? 2008 uh, in the series Just After Sunset. And this is the one. And this is the one they were gonna have in Creep Show too, but it was yeah. originally cut. You bet. Good call. Good remember. Good memory. <laughs> yes. God, I hope I nailed that just after sunset. Anyway, I, somebody will tell I, me. <laughs> yes, I would not know. I read it a couple times. Still not in my brain yet. But yeah. Uh, so we we open on this affluent mansion, and up pulls a cab with a man in the back who is um, named Halston. And he is played by David Johansson. Do you know who he is? 
Yes. Um, I know from childhood. Well, I know him under his pseudonym. Yep. Yes, Buster Poindexter. Yeah, I know him under a pseudonym, but he's in like, I I know him specifically through being the cab driver in Scrooged. Yeah, yeah, he's the cab. Yes, he's the cab. But I know he was in like New York Dolls and a whole bunch of stuff. But like specifically, my my childhood with Link Two, I know him as the crazy cab driver as one of the ghosts in Scrooged. Yeah, good. <laughs> he's a good actor. I don't know why he he's not around so much. Yeah, and he's super young in this, and he's like all thin. I, I knew him as like I'm gonna be a little bit older, um, just like stockier, but you know, still the same face, everything. <laughs> he's got a good hitman face. Yes. <laughs> okay, so it turns out Mr. Halston is hot, hot, hot to get inside <laughs> to talk to a wheelchair bound William Hickey, who plays Mr. Drogan. Now is now he's in a lot of stuff too. Oh yeah, he was actually in uh, an episode of Tales from the Dark Side as well that I forgot. Now, am I wrong that like this is me just like going off the visual of I could be one hundred percent wrong, but like was he also the dad in Christmas Vacation? Oh, he is the grandpa. Yeah, that's was, that smoked was... a cigar, right? Yeah. Okay. I, I know the voice and I didn't know, I didn't look it up. Or not. I'm like, but that's a hundred percent his voice. Yeah. So. <laughs> they, the blessing. Yeah. They, the blessing. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, welcome. Welcome. Mr. Halston. My name is Mr. Drogan. You're probably wondering why I brought you here tonight. And he's like, well, I'm a hitman, So I'm assuming you want somebody dead. <laughs> yes. And he said, yep. He's like, okay, well, who do you want dead? He's like, right behind you. And he looks back and there's just a, just a cat. Yeah, cute black cat. <laughs> yeah, cute black cat. And he's like, okay, what's the gag? <laughs> so Drogan says, okay, well, I'm going to tell you a story why I want that cat dead. Now, it turns out Drogan's made his fortune um, in the pharmaceutical game. Unfortunately, that means that the 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 medication that he's made, he tested and went through. How many do they say about? Uh, he he killed five thousand cats while yep. making this. Like, which basically sounds like a like they mentioned like a hallucinogen, uh, just like a almost like he. Uh, I think he says it's like once above a street drug, basically. <laughs> Yep. That's why he's in a mansion right now. And he said, so one day this cat, this cat shows up and his, uh, well, I guess I should explain he lives with uh, his butler and his also very elderly sister and her friend. Yes. And so his sister adopted this cat. And it drives me crazy because the butler was in something that I watched a lot of and I cannot place who he's in, what he's in, but like... He does a lot of work, but he's best known as playing Hector Salamanca in Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. And also, is this one other, like, where he was like a snarky guy. Because, uh, um, I again, I used to cook in my previous life before COVID. Uh, there was this 90s movie called Dinner Rush 
and I just it came on me right now. He was an art critic in that, and he was really just a rude like guy. But again, he played a great role in that. Did it's called Dinner Rush. It was a great '90s movie. But uh, he was he he's he, again. There were so many people in this that you're you're gonna know everybody in this cast. Another callback to like just a random other role he played, but um, yeah, he played the butler in this. Oh yeah, and the is the one guy was the librarian from Ghostbusters. Yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, thankfully, she wasn't asked if she was currently menstruating. <laughs> so yeah, he's like they the the sister takes the kitty cat in and's loving on it, and everything is all well and good. But you ever heard that old urban legend that cats steal people's breaths? Most well, people and and uh, children. Well, now I never heard this. Okay, so I had cats growing all the way, growing up all the way through childhood. But when I was younger, I watched, which was actually before this anthology, Cat's Eye. Oh yeah, with Drew Barrymore, and it's again another Stephen King story, which is funny because they bring up the stealing cat like people's breaths. Is that that was a story in yeah. that as well with Drew Barrymore? I don't, I've never heard this. So I have to like really look this up because this is now two Stephen King issue where he brings up cat stealing breath. Yeah. Have you, have you heard of this? No, I think Stephen made it up. Yeah. And it's funny because he uses it for two different stories, basically. Yeah. I love that though. He, how he uses his, uh, his queen upbringing and all these, mo- these mothers that he. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so, but apparently it's true in this story because the cat comes up to the sister one night and just latches itself <laughs> over her, yes. in t- like a like a mask. Well, she he, she the cat the fir- the the cat first tripped the friend down the steps. I thought the friend died second. Oh, maybe the friend died second. Okay, so yeah, the first like the sister gets basically suffocated. The cat like is like Spoiler hanging alert. on her face. Yeah. <laughs> uh. The other one falls down the stairs. Yep, cat trips the one down the stairs. And so <laughs> he said that cat's gotta go. He said it after uh, the first time, but the gal locked it in her damn bedroom. Yeah. And it, then he finally sends the cat out with the butler at like midnight to go to get to go to the vet. And the vet's like, it's midnight. He's like, I don't care with this cat dead. So the butler takes the cat in the car to get killed. Yeah, and the cat was not having that either. <laughs> yep, so he escapes and just kills the shit out of the. I guess his name was Gage, Gage the Butler, and then he comes back. And he comes back for now. He knows it's his turn. Yep, and so he hires the hitman to do his work to kill him before he kills him. And he's like, "All right, listen, I don't really care because I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars for this. I'll do it." But this cat basically just runs amok all over the Halston carrier, the hitman, just like just takes him down one by one, like scratching him, attacking him, even like grabbing his crotch, like like every cut in his neck, cut in his face. Yep. Like the cat just like tears this guy apart. Oh yeah, Drogan's yeah, Drogan just says, um, yep, that's what you gotta do. Hundred thousand dollars. I'm gonna excuse myself for <laughs> yeah. He goes to the city. He's like, I'll be back. He's like, I'll be back when it's done. Make sure everything's done. You get the other half of your money. 
Yep. And Halston, yeah, like you said, Halston just spends a dark night mansion with a cat who at first isn't very adversarial, but then, like, after takes a couple shots at it, then, <laughs> yeah, this cat fucks him up pretty good. Yeah, just takes him apart. And then it's like a, it's a brutal, it's a brutal, uh, battle of i wouldn't say wits but until <laughs> eventually the cat ah how would you describe this uh like so i guess that the kills are attached to like midnight for some reason yeah so as it's getting ready to like hit midnight the climax of like the cat's like killing time the cat just forces his way down halston's like mouth and throat and neck and you just see him like basically he just shoves his whole body he climbs down this guy's throat into his belly down his throat Uh, like you just see him like choking and it's such a good I think like special effects because it's like you just see his eyes like like bulging and his mouth is this cat's just forcing its way down his throat. It's so disgusting, but it, but actually looks one hundred percent real. Looks one hundred percent like this is happening to this guy. That cat did not like Buster Poindexter at all. But I guess because he was shooting around at the cat, or he shot, he hit the clock before it actually struck midnight. But I don't know if you noticed that it was like one minute till midnight or two minutes till midnight. Uh. So he's on the floor dead. The cat's still in his belly. We uh, don't we don't quite know that yet, but yeah. yeah. And, and... <laughs> but you know, the guy the guy comes back, Drogan comes back, and he yep. just, he he wheels in seeing him on the floor. And he's like, Well, that didn't work. But then his his chest starts moving and his the cat slowly crawls its way out of his mouth. Oh, yeah. The clock, for some reason, like, just decides to start again. It clicks over, hits midnight. And it must have, like, awoken the cat or whatever this, the, the tie with the time of the cat is. But you just see him start climbing his way out of his belly, his stomach, his chest, out through his mouth and throat. And he ends up killing Drogon, but through a heart attack. Yeah, well, maybe a little bit better than he deserved, but yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the shock of it all basically sends him into a tizzy. He dies. And the cat's like, okay, I did my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's good. I love it. Yeah, this is a really great one again. Like, just showing that I think the setting was great. Uh, I love how he was like, uh, Drogon was like, "Oh, you have anything you want here? You have the, you know, anything you want here? Anything you want?" And then after he left, he opened the fridge. The fridge had nothing in it. He goes, "Yeah, anything you want." And it's like, yeah. all it's all cheap booze, empty cabinets. You know, he has no lights. Like this guy just lives this, this disgusting life. Oh yeah, it was. Oh, it was satisfying. The cat's like some kind of avenging angel. Yeah, and it's it's and the cat, you know, goes back and forth from looking just so sweet 
But you know that it, it definitely did trip the woman down the steps. It definitely did suffocate the woman, which that scene made me laugh just because the visual of the woman, like the cat's like literally spread eagle all over the woman's face yeah. and the woman cannot get the cat off of her face. <laughs> That's freaky. Yeah. I... Yeah. It reminded me like the scene in Alien when Alien would attach the fa- to the face. Like... <laughs> definitely. So... We go back after the story, we go back to the witch, Betty, and she's cutting flowers and she's like, Well, that was a scary story, but she's like, I always loved I always loved love stories. And Tommy, the paper boy who she's has in the cabinet or in the wall, tells her that well there's oh, one yeah, he is boy, isn't he? Oh yeah, he's a paper boy. So I guess uh yeah, can we find out later on he was like collecting money for his brother who has the route. So like it's just like I guess he's a paper boy. Uh, says there's one in the book uh, but even though that she should be getting cooking him once again uh, she's willing to listen to the story and that's where we get Lover's Vow the, the, the third story in the trilogy and this one was written by Michael McDowell but it's ba- I saw that it was based on Japanese folklore huh. which yeah it's a, so there's an actual story of Japanese folklore but I guess instead of being gargoyles they're ghosts so i i read that but it's, it's a name that i could not pronounce but it was a story based on japanese folklore and it has this guy named preston who is uh who i think richard from sex in the city <laughs> and he's a struggling artist and he lives in this like great studio apartment and through the skylight there's like this huge stone gargoyle on neighboring building that looks down upon him which you don't really know he's looking down upon him but it's just positioned right above the window in his uh, studio uh, Preston's agent calls who's played by Robert Klein again another famous person asking him to meet him at the bar a few blocks away uh, he goes down there he assumes it's a meet him to say all of his pieces sold and he made money all this stuff but basically uh, the agent goes your work is crap. You're not selling. Uh, and I can't be your agent anymore. Yes. So Preston goes on a bender and he decides to drink his face off. And uh, the bar owner helps him wants to walk him home at the end of the night. He left one guy in there drunk to basically sleep off his, his booze, locked him inside there. And him and Preston were walking home. Along the way, uh, Preston stops in the back alley to pee. Which I mean, everyone's done, but like, what's well, up in the back? I like to pee, yeah. and his his friend, you hear him like call out sh- and shoot or shot at this gigantic like look looking monster gargoyle, which again looks great, like a cross between like gremlins, I would say. It had a, like a Gremlins vibe to it, the, the the evil gremlins, not the cute fuzzy ones, but it does look at- like gremlin doesn't it yeah i think it looked like the main character of gremlins a really like evil one and uh he shoots at it and the gargoyle attacks back and basically severs his hand and decapitates him so preston freaks out starts running away but the creature quarters him and he goes i'll spare your life if you swear to never ever tell anybody what you've seen and richard I, I don't really know if he agrees. He's just like scared to death. But the monster scratches his chest and goes like, you know, cross your heart, basically. And then like he vanishes. 
Uh, Preston keeps running through the city, which I'd love to know what part of New York this is because I'm sure it's completely built up and beautiful right now, but yeah. it, it looks like the, the dingiest parts of New York City. But he goes into another alleyway where he bumps into a beautiful woman, Carola, who is Tommy Chong's daughter, which uh, she's just gorgeous in this. And she claims to be lost while going to meet some friends. And I'm thinking, like, where were like where were you going in this neighborhood? There was just like there's nothing in this neighborhood. But she was looking for a taxi. And Preston uses the oldest trick of the book and goes, Come back to my place, he's my phone. <laughs> so he convinces her to go back to his apartment to use his phone, where they basically end up having sex and like uh, becoming romantically entangled. And uh, she ends up basically, like, also moving in, basically. Like, because, like, she shows up a minute, like, you know, in the next scene saying, hey, my roommate's boyfriend moved back. I know this is weird, but I'm basically moving in here. And she's like, okay, no problem. I like this. And (laughs) flash forward, you know, she looks at his artwork and she has a friend who's this really well-known art critic and gets gets him a gallery of viewing. He sells... I think a painting for like $25,000 or installation for $25,000 and his life drastically improves. Like he becomes successful. Um, he gets married to Carola, has two children. Um, but Preston can't shake the image of that disturbing gargoyle that one night in New York. So uh, the 10th anniversary, they go out, they come back, uh, and he shows her this like small figurine that he ha- I guess he has made that represents the gargoyle he saw that night. And he goes, I never told anybody about this. I never showed anybody this, but um, I love you. And I don't want to have any secrets from you. Oh, they had two kids too as well. Yeah. Two like cute, a boy and a girl, two cute kids. Uh, and I, so he breaks down and he tells her about the story after showing her the figurine that he, he made. Carola appears to be kind of like uncomfortable with the story and then she basically admits like this like heartbroken like kind of like wail where she's like you promised not to tell and then all of a sudden you're like wait what does that you know mean and she looks visibly upset by what he's saying but she goes through this transformation process where she is the creature she reveals herself as the gargoyle that of that night. So basically with Preston's vow broken, Carola could no longer remain human and transforms back into the gargoyle. You hear the children, the children yep. are in the next room, like nervous and scared, but then you hear screaming from the room and they're, they're both transformed into a gargoyles as well. The, the three of them. Uh, she ra- Carola now who's like fully a gargoyle. She wraps her wings I guess arms around Preston and says they pretty much profess their love for each other but because the vow is broken she's forced to kill him now so yep. she she bites this huge gaping wound to his neck and kills him and flies away with the two children through the window like the window of their uh, studio the final scene shows the three gargoyles Carola and the two babies now stoned sitting on the building ledge uh staring down like at the city kind of like in this like sad like remorseful kind of face 
Yeah, it's deep. Yeah, this one, I, I, I mean, this is a really great story. It is, isn't it? It is so good. Like, everything about it, from, like, the setting, uh, the, all the practical effects, like, the transforming, uh, the transformation of Kerala into the gargoyle with her skin ripping, the wings coming out of her arms, everything. Everything about this. Oh, yeah, perfect. Where did, where did you catch it? Where did she what? Where did you uh, see this at? The the show, the movie? Yes. Oh, I watched it at home. I watched this at home. I know, but where um, did, was it streaming? Yes, yes. I streamed it through. Uh, well, my on-demand had it. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I, so I was able to watch it. it was, it's for free, I think, on, on a lot of the platforms. But my but my uh, cable distributor has it, it for free to stream. Oh yeah, I'm not used to having cable. <laughs> do you? Did you? Do you probably have this on like actual physical DVD, right? Yeah, I just got the old school DVD. <laughs> yeah, uh, this one is this one is free. This one is available, I think, on all, all platforms free. But uh, it, it, it's really good. This is like. Out of the three, I would say this is my favorite. This might be my favorite out of all three movies we've seen so far. Really? Yeah. Like, uh, I liked something that tied you um, over. Uh, I like this one a lot only because it could be a lot of things. It could be any sort of secret that you keep from a partner that comes back and destroys something, whether it's like cheating, it could be anything. Like it just so happened that he hid this fact that he saw a gargoyle, which is like, at the end of the day, I mean, it's not a secret, but it could be taken for something way more serious too. It destroyed his entire, it destroyed his life. It killed him. It destroyed his family life. It destroyed everything. And all he really wanted to do was be honest, but at the end of the day, it's not what he should have done. He should have just kept it to himself. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But it's also like you put yourself in his position and you think about it and you're like, I would probably do the same thing. I'd probably end up telling who I'm with too. Just one day be like, when I hear this weird shit about this gargoyle, I <laughs> yeah, I feel like I don't even know if I would have waited 10 years. Like, that's a pretty traumatic story to not tell anybody ever. Well, I mean, even, <laughs> even if she didn't turn into a gargoyle, there's always a chance that she's like, oh, he's uh, fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure, it was a gargoyle. Sure, he killed your friend. I'm sure, it was, I'm sure it wasn't you after being wasted at a bar. You didn't just chop a guy's head off. Oh, that's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. but everything was great. Even the scene where his hand and head was chopped off, great effects. Uh, the gargoyle looked great. Uh, just slimy and reptilian looking, looked great. Uh, the scene where she transformed is awesome. It, everything about this, I think, was really great. How do you rank them? Uh, I don't know if I'd go three, two, one. Only because, well, three, for me, it's like the story and the effects. Two and one, the stories are equally great. 
but the scene where the cat pushes himself or pushes their like, itself down uh Dex- the Dexter Dexter's like throat yeah like that scene is just so good that that made the whole short story for me like the way that that the way that he just was killed was so great but again like the first story was great in other ways like the first story was a great those two kills were great too and then i think the mommy looked good so even though one and two could be interchangeable for me i'm gonna go three two one depending on the day you catch me on it's either three two one or two three one or two three one okay and what makes what makes the two back and forth for you i don't know depends on my i guess i've always been such a pessimism about love story pessimist about love stories that i just kind of take it with a grain of salt maybe it i don't know maybe it's some that the healthy pessimism and cynicism probably kept me from fully falling in love with a third story but over the years i've yeah i've really grown attached. yeah i think also the frame of mind that i'm in today would probably be like with i am with relationships i'd be like yeah three because again like i also think the reveal at the end of her being the gargoyle is so shocking like if if you're going in blind, like that is completely a, a complete shocking reveal. You didn't see that coming. Like she doesn't even give it. Like I tried to be like if I watched this without knowing that she was going to transform, and I would say that she really does not give any inclination that she has any tie to this at all through the entire short. Oh yeah. The only thing is that watching it now in hindsight it's weird that she was in the alleyway weird that she was meeting friends because like, it's obviously a part of town where nobody goes there's not there's nothing around there so i guess you could try to look for things like that way but and again you're it's you're pulling you're like you're trying to find little inklings of giveaways but there's really not that not anything i saw that would be like she's definitely the gargoyle she's definitely gonna come back it's just been so long since I've seen these movies for the first time. I never remember whether or not I was surprised by, by anything. Yeah, I definitely, because even with me remembering the stories, like, in the back of my mind from, like, so long ago, uh, I, don't, I don't remember the, the scene with the cat going down the throat as well as I did. So watching that was great again and watching this the third one, which is good in general because I just thought it was a, a well put together story too. Are anthologies growing on you? Yes, they are. And I don't know why I never really watched them more than just a, a standard scary movie. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's like, I don't know if I just didn't put much stock in them. Like, I don't know in what regard. I don't know why it was, I chose movies like features over these kind of like groups of stories. Cause I've, I have seen a couple in my childhood and like, and when I was younger, but looking back, watching these, feeling like the first time watching these, I'm like, these are great. Yeah, definitely. I mean, not the next one. <laughs> yes. That's going to be an interesting one because then we can just, instead of being like surprised at the quality, we'll probably spend the entire day just shitting all over this movie. 
Yeah. Uh, when I even told my my roommate about the third installment of this is Lover's Vow one, and I told the ending, she's like, I literally have chills when you tell me the story about this. She's like, I need to watch this movie. She's like, I literally have chills. Because she's like, because it's just a great kind of like thing at the end where you're like you think you're doing something good and you end up doing something really horribly wrong like it's the worst thing you could have done and his life was going so good for him it's also like uh how he's bad luck and not bad luck but just hasn't you know never sold anything even when he does sell something and he doesn't have a good life he, there's a there's a way he ruined it you know yeah he spends 10 years fucking a it's just shit happens, you know. He just could, he just couldn't leave well enough alone, and that's like people like, like that could be like people like me, like that you think they're just doing like something good or something positive, and you end up just being like, why I do that? Why couldn't I just leave well enough alone? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like your life is perfect. You're selling twenty five thousand dollars paintings. Like forget about the gargoyle. Forget about it. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Well, I don't know. It's maybe it would be easier to excuse out of hand, like one encounter with something you don't understand. Yeah. Or maybe it would haunt you more. I don't know. Yeah, because he just would. You would not give it up. You could not forget about it. You know, not not forget about it. <laughs> well, after this, we go back to the the witch because we have to end end the movie because you know she basically tells Timmy she goes boy you did say the best story for last because you know she does love a good love story but uh he goes no 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 the next one is the best and it has a happy ending and she goes no it's too late I have to start cooking and uh and besides those stories in these books have happy endings so she begins like to wheel this like butcher block with all these kind of tools and gadgets on it to cut him open and prepare him but Timmy the uh, paperboy begins to narrate his own actions and he talks about how he's going to throw marbles on the floor and he throws marbles on the floor and how she's going to lose her balance and she loses her balance and how she basically falls back on her cooking tools and basically impales herself in the back yep. and he goes oh and while she, you know, he's, he talks about how he's like while she's you know fidgeting around with these tools in her uh, he reaches for the keys. If only he can reach the keys, he grabs the keys. He unlocks himself. And he shoves her into the oven to send her in to cook herself, basically. Yep. And uh, the film ends when he, Tommy like walks over to this uh, bag of cookies and he takes one out and he goes, he looks at the camera at, at the audience. He goes, don't you just love happy endings? And then, yep. bas- and then the story ends. That was weird, huh? Kind of. Yeah, definitely. Or like, hey, look, he took control of the narrative. Yes, and I mean, she. It was. I think it was a great. I think it, it was a great wraparound story. Uh, it was a great setting of all the stories. Uh, even though it was Stephen King, it wasn't a classic Maine, Maine, Maine. Even though it could have been a, a New England town, but it wasn't specifically attached to Stephen King saying it was Maine. So, but that was also great. The house was great. The, everything about it was. I, just, I, I would give this definitely an, a solid eight if I could. 
eight and a half. Eight sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I was hovering around sixes and sevens for Creep Show, but this is this was a solid eight. Solid eight and a half, eight for me. Well, get ready because <laughs> the next one's gonna. <laughs> the next one's gonna send it right down to the gutter. <laughs> I don't know why we're doing that. I just, it just needs to be done. I guess because I mean, has anybody even like reviewed Creep Show Three? Oh yeah, everybody's everything under the sun's been reviewed at this point, but yeah. Oh my god, yeah. I, I guess we're gonna have to do it just to say we did it and just to you know complete the three <laughs> pay the dues yeah yeah, yeah i next... know especially if you're coming off the high of this one i'll be devastated i think oh yeah but then we'll uh we'll have to pick something really good for the following week to watch the to bring us up <laughs> yeah that's gonna be a bit bit of a somber recording <laughs> just like yeah i watched it it was it was a movie it had a beginning middle and end and that's about the, all the good things you can say. <laughs> oh, man. So I guess I should get this one done. Just to do it. Just to say I did it. Yep. But I would say I could. we could watch this anytime, this movie, and be happy with it. Tales of the Dark Side. I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. It was super. Yeah. It holds up. Definitely holds up. And the cast is engaging. And... The whole time, like, oh, I know this person, I know this person, and you know, I know there's usually like one or two stars that you know, like uh, you know, Kevin Bacon in like in a Friday the 13th movie here, and like you know, or you might spot somebody famous here and there, but when you see the cast like this, you're like, this is a great cast. You'd be surprised how many people start in horror, really. Yeah, it's just such a it was such a great, and I think the writing was was. I'm not going to say exponentially better, but it was just, it seemed more composed. It seemed the wraparound was composed, uh, everything about it. Awesome possum. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you so take, I, I guess next week is Creep Show 3. Yep, you take it easy. Enjoy your watch of that. Yes. <laughs> the uh, slog. <laughs> I am not looking forward to it. <laughs> and this is a fresh watch. I've never seen this at all. I don't even have like clips in my memory of childhood with this. So this is a blind watch for me. So I'm pretty I'm excited for that. Uh, but from what I read about it, not excited about what I'm gonna watch. <laughs> It'd be pretty extraordinary if like plot twist you like adored it. <laughs> yes, and that'd be my favorite thing. Somehow. <laughs> it's my new favorite movie. <laughs> I guess we'll see. I don't know. There are people who like the weirdest shit. I know. I, I I'm now like, oh god, what if I like it? That's a high dynamic. Don't talk about how much you like it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that is how bad it is. If even if you did like it, you'd have to fucking play it up. Like, this is the worst thing ever made. Yeah, and then and I, if, like, you have posters in your room with it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, well, I guess for that's next week. Yep. Yeah, you take it easy. You too. <laughs>